You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. It pays to get along with your coworkers. If you're the person who microwaves fish in the office kitchen or clips your nails at your desk, you might find your work life a little more unpleasant than usual. And if you're Johann Berenger, you might find your whole life the worse for wear. Johann was a professor in Germany around 1624, and an arrogant one at that. At 27 years old, he was put in charge of his university's botanical gardens, which was a very important job. Much of modern medicine during the 17th century was based around plants and herbs. But Johann wasn't just fascinated with new medical discoveries and techniques. He was obsessed with the history of ancient plants and animals. He would often explore the nearby Mount Eibelstadt to hunt for what he referred to as petrifactions. We call them fossils today. On many occasions, he'd take his students along with him. Whatever he'd bring back, he would put on display for his peers and other students to study. On one excursion to the mountain, Johann came across some new specimens. They were butterflies, frogs, and spiders, a generous haul for the day. However, these fossils, or stones as he called them, were different. They'd been inscribed with the word Jehovah, the Hebrew name of God, as well as words written in Syrian and Babylonian. Johann was amazed. Among all the fossilized shells and animals he normally found, these were entirely new ones with what he believed to be a more supernatural origin. He packed them up and returned to the school to add them to his collection, which he enthusiastically showed off to anyone who would give him the time. To Johann, the fossils were there for a reason. In his mind, God himself had put them there to be found, maybe for fun or perhaps to inspire faith in the faithless. Not everyone saw the divinity in these stones, however. Whenever he encountered a non-believer, he would escort them out to the mountain and have them dig around for themselves. Often, when they pulled out their own inscribed fossils, they'd be converted into believers just like Johann. Emboldened by his discoveries, he published a book about the stones. But when word about it made it to two of Johann's colleagues, J. Ignatz Roderick and Georg von Eckhart, they tried to discredit him. They started whispering around campus that the fossils in his collection were fake, and that they had even sold their own stones directly to him. Naturally, Johann was livid. These men were trying to ruin his discovery out of pure jealousy. They envied his success and how quickly he'd risen within the university at such a young age. He published his book anyway, then sued Roderick and Eckhart for defamation. The problem was, they hadn't defamed Johann at all. You see, Roderick and Eckhart weren't jealous of the 27-year-old professor. They simply hated him. 
They thought he was an arrogant jerk who needed to be taken down a few notches. So with the help of a 17-year-old student, the two men had carved over a hundred animal fossils out of limestone, inscribing words and drawings on many of them in different languages as part of an elaborate hoax. It's just that they had never counted on Johann publishing his findings. By the time they realized how far their joke had gone, it was too late. His career and reputation had been irrevocably harmed by the stones. Rumor had it that he even spent his entire fortune buying up all the copies of his published book in an effort to hide his embarrassment. However, when Johann's book was translated into English hundreds of years later, scholars discovered the truth. Roderick and Eckhart, the real hoaxers, were the ones who had been ruined by their prank. Roderick himself was banished from the university entirely, while Eckhart lost many of his privileges at a famous archival library. Johann went on to publish two more books after his first, but the incident with the stones followed him as a footnote for the rest of his life. Despite his poor judgment and unbridled arrogance, Johann Berenger still holds a place in our hearts. Why? Because, you see, he had a particular name for the place where he stored his stones and fossils, and whenever he invited someone to take a peek at his collection, he would invite them to look inside his cabinet of curiosities. It's almost here. The NYX anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. So, mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th, for the NYX Anniversary Sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. We are often judged by the company we keep. 
hang out with criminals, and no matter what we say or do, we will be considered a criminal too. Spend time in scholarly circles, and we'll be thought of as intellectuals, even if we never crack a book. The painter Elizabeth Vilma Loaf Parlay kept unique company as well. Born in Hungary in 1863, she studied art all over Europe. She was talented, and one of her portraits was so good it was displayed by German Emperor William II himself. Her portraits of European royalty put her on the map. Between 1896 and 1908, she traveled the world, married a Russian prince, and had a child uh, with a man who was not that Russian prince. But finally, in 1908, the newly divorced princess settled down in New York City. She didn't have to live in a house, though, or a fancy brownstone. Instead, she opted to live in an elegant and expensive hotel, the Plaza Hotel, where she occupied a 14-room suite on the third floor. Attending to her every need was her personal staff, including a guard, a surgeon, two secretaries, three butlers, and Goldfleck. Goldfleck had been an entertainer from a young age, but was reluctant to leave his troupe of performers to join the princess at the plaza. It wasn't until General Daniel E. Sickles, a Civil War veteran and former subject of one of Vilma's portraits, stepped in. He encouraged the young Goldfleck to join the princess's entourage. He even gave the troupe $250 in good faith. The princess's newest addition accompanied her on her return to Berlin and assisted with her portraits. They didn't spend long there, though, however, and in October of 1911, Princess and Goldfleck came back to the plaza to stay. Upon returning, rather than occupy one of her 14 rooms, Goldfleck took over the hotel director's room. He was loved by many of the guests and never really bothered anyone. He did have a mild panic attack when a photographer took a flash photo of him, sending the poor Goldfleck fleeing through the hotel. It caused quite a stir until he finally calmed down. Sadly, his life with the princess did not agree with him. Goldfleck passed away from gout in 1912. After his wake, which she held in her suite, he was taken to the Hartsdale Pet Cemetery for burial. Yes, a pet cemetery. Goldfleck had been more than a performer, you see. He was a lion cub, born at Madison Square Garden as part of Barnum & Bailey's Menagerie. When the princess was unable to purchase him herself, she asked General Sickles to use his clout to persuade them. Goldfleck was then presented to her as a gift from the general. She treated him as a pet, taking the cub with her wherever she went. He was part of her collection of exotic animals that lived with her in the Plaza Hotel. She had a dog, of course, a, a Pomeranian. There was also a cat and a guinea pig. Nothing out of the ordinary there. But peek inside her suite and you might have also seen a bear cub, an owl, a couple of alligators, and an ibis the large wading bird often found near wetlands. You see, the Plaza was the only hotel in New York that would accommodate the princess's lavish lifestyle and her wild companions. She spent $25,000 a year to live there, plus the cost of feeding her animals. Unfortunately, the onset of World War I reduced her portrait business to almost nothing, and without a steady income, she was forced to find new lodging elsewhere for both herself and her animals. She held on to her dog and cat and even added a few more to make up for the exotic creatures that she had to give up. But things only got worse for the princess as time wore on. She had to change homes several times and fell into serious debt. She also suffered from diabetes, which kept her bedridden later in life. By the time she died in 1923, the former artist was broke and owed hundreds of thousands of dollars in mortgages. But she never gave up the lifestyle which she had grown accustomed to. 
Even in death, she insisted on the finest things in life. In fact, her final moments were spent on a golden bed once owned by another royal personality, Marie Antoinette. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.